It's time for the car doctor on AM 950 WROL. Got a car question? Call us at 617-770-3030. That's 617-770-3030. Now, here's the car doctor, John Paul, on AM 950 WROL, the spirit of Boston. And good Saturday morning, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Car Doctor Program on AM 950 WROL, The Spirit of Boston. Or maybe you're listening on 100.3 FM, or maybe you're listening on the app, uh, or WROLradio.com. Whichever way you're listening, um, well, I thank you for listening. And, of course, you can always find previous programs on my podcast site, which is johnfpaul.podbean.com. And somebody asked me for a list of all the places the program aired uh, last week, and uh, you know, iTunes or whatever it's called, Apple something now. What is it called? Apple something, right? You know, I have no yeah. idea. I yeah. Mean, yeah. I've been so busy yeah. with my... With your life. Yeah, with yeah. my life. Too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, speaking of people with busy lives, uh, you know, sometimes when you have a really busy life, you want to be able to relax a little bit. And, uh, you know, some people play golf, some people people play tennis, some people jog, and then some people go drive cars really fast around racetracks. And uh, with us on the phone is Fred Ferguson. He is the CEO of Palmer Motorsports. Good morning, Fred. Good morning, Sean Paul. How are you? I'm doing just fine. I, I was saying that, you know, some people to relax go out and play golf, and some people go play tennis, and some people go for long runs in the woods, and uh, other times they go really fast around racetracks, right? That's true. They uh, enjoy the uh, thrill and uh, the skill involved in um, that hobby. And Palmer Motorsport Park, uh, how many years have you guys been in existence out in Palmer? Well, we opened in um, 2015, but um, the track was originally conceived and uh, permitted in 2007. So we've only been open since uh, 215, but it's been on the drawing board for over 10 years. And was this um, was this your idea? Was it a kind of group thought? How, how, did, how did it come? How, you know, did, did you just decide, hey, there's a big hill that looks like I could carve roads in it and turn it into a racetrack? How'd that work? No. Uh, well, uh, the Sports Car Club of New England um, was looking for a venue. They have, I don't know, 5,000 members or so across New England, and they were afraid of losing the other facilities up at Loudoun, New Hampshire, and Lime Rock, Connecticut. So this is back in the late 90s. Mm-hmm. They formed a, commit, a committee to look for uh, a site that would they would be able to build a track to support their own amateur uh, member events. And they found this piece of land in Palmer that was uh, hit all the right... Um, requirements and um the town was uh supportive so they got a permit and uh the idea was for this to be owned and operated by an entity that would serve the amateur grassroots motorsports community and uh, i got involved in 07 just as a passive uh investor um but then later (laughs) i took on a much more uh active role in getting it uh, off the ground and so it, but it had its roots in the um, sports car community um, from the get go, mm. and that's 
pretty much what it's still designed for. We, we do other types of events, but um, we're really there to um, support the motorsports community. And uh, your, your background, are you a racer, an investor, an enthusiast, or just somebody who said, I think it's just a good idea? <laughs> uh, all of the above. Um, I should probably have my head examined for the last one. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I got into racing. Um, I was in my late thirties and, um, high tech. My business background is publishing and education and, uh, computers. And, um, but I'd done some investing and, uh, I gotten, gone through the skip barber racing school mm-hmm gotten a license and been racing in the BMW club and sports car club of America. I got to be an instructor, uh, with some clubs. And so I, I understood the, the passion people have for automobiles and racing and, um, driving. And, um, I was in a position in my life where, um, everything kind of came together and the opportunity was, you know, this is back in 2012, uh, to, to kind of, push this thing forward and that's i just agreed to take a look at it Mm. and um just the pieces kept falling into place it it almost had a life of its own really and uh here we are so i i nobody really knew what the track would be like well maybe somebody did but um none of us who are directly involved until we cleared the trees and and got a real look at um, the, the site, the topology, did we realize what a dramatic uh, circuit it would end up being? Yeah, it, it, so it, I, yeah, it really is. And for people who maybe think they heard of Palmer Motorsports, uh, uh, two weeks ago, I think on Chronicle, uh, 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 the track yes. was featured. Yeah. Yeah, we've done, in the, since we opened, we've gone out of our way to try to um, do other kinds host other kinds of events to support various causes or um, interests so the veterans event um was a big one and then the mit uh or the electric Mm -hmm. vehicle research that's going on around a lot of the uh institutions education we will make our venue available to them uh and to help them debug or test out their latest uh developments in car technology and that's been really uh, fascinating to, to be part of. And, um, but the chair, you know, giving back to the community has been something that uh, I think as a racetrack operator, uh, we're going to be constantly looking to do that because we understand not everyone loves having a racetrack in their town and within earshot. And uh, so we're, we're trying to find as many ways as possible to um, justify our existence and, uh, benefit uh to the to the neighbors and the communities yeah i think down in connecticut at uh lime rock they can't run on sunday because um somebody doesn't somebody doesn't like the noise on sunday and i and i guess over the years they've just sort of respected that and said well okay if we're gonna if we're gonna coexist together that's what we'll do yes lime rock i mean a lot of these tracks opened up you know decades uh, the last century and they've had a you know uh, kind of a uh, difficult relationship as the communities around the town or the track have uh, become more affluent and uh, suburbanized. It it creates a kind of give and take. But 
they um, they had the benefit of being there for such a long time, but they do um, quite a bit themselves with the um, local Lakeville. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a this uh, a place for disabled children, and um, they uh, they are, they do not run on Sundays, which is uh, uh, something that they agreed to many, many years ago yeah. in return for, they do run some very loud uh, televised events and that sort of helps keep the place, the doors open. Yeah. And um, I think they give back to the community as best they can, as, as much as uh, you know, their yeah. finances and allow. Yeah. No. And, um, you know, before, before we get into, how you keep the doors open. Um, let's talk about the track a little bit. I was uh, fortunate enough, uh, uh, one of your guys, Al Sandy, took me out around the track, just kind of slow to get a feel of the track. Myself and Craig Fitzgerald, who works for Gatehouse Media, uh, went out. And then we went out with um, one of your part-time instructors, full-time enthusiast, Mark, in his hot rod uh, Mustang. And uh, went around, did some hot laps around the track. It is, and I'm I'm not a big racer. I have been up to Monticello, and and I have been down to Lime Rock, and I have been to Road Atlanta. I don't know that I've ever been on a track that had elevation changes quite like yours. No, it's definitely uh, from uh, there's a track in Austria, uh, Spa Frankenchamp. Franco shop that uh, come close to that kind of elevation. It's literally built on a mountain. Mm. We, um, it was primarily the topology of the site uh, dictated the, um, you know, the layout in trying to get a, a long enough circuit. Uh, you needed to, and Whiskey Hill is got some terrain uh, elevation. And uh, in the end, it did turn out to be very dramatic, uh, much more so than, I think many of us realized, uh, but and also the sight the sight lines you get from around the circuit once the trees were opened up uh, was stunning. I I had no idea you could see so far out um, to the west and south and north uh, as you can um, see Mount Greylock actually from mm. the top, which is pretty, and then you can see Connecticut and Monadnock and uh, up up in New Hampshire. It is just unbelievable. Um, pretty in terms of central Massachusetts. Uh, I can't say I spent a lot of time uh, in that part of the state until I got involved in this project, and I've gotten to really love the area. Yeah, it really, it really is a beautiful area, and you're nicely located between uh, Boston and Connecticut, and not all that far away from New York. No, we've in fact a lot of our members and uh, clubs that run out of Palmer. The commute up to Massachusetts, that part of Massachusetts, you, is doable. Um, it's somewhat easier than trying to fight traffic to go in other directions. And we're right off the pike. It um, is a centrally, when we did the business plan, we, we drew a circle and looked at the population density and, re, and the people of you know owning sports cars. And it looked to be, a, from a regional perspective, an excellent location to be situated and that was part of the whole economic crunching the numbers to um, make sure that whatever was built, it, it is only open for a partial 200 days out of the season. Mm-hmm. So um, we had to make sure. And that it, again, caters to the amateur grassroots enthusiast. So uh, 
numbers had to work for what people would be willing to pay and how far they're willing to drive. And the venue itself had to be uh, interesting enough that they'd want to keep coming back. Yeah, when I was so out was in with Mark in his Mustang, uh, one of my questions to him was, how long will this stay fun? And is it one of those things that, uh, you know, whether it's any kind of sport you're in, it starts to become a little less fun if you're if you kind of go in the other direction of not getting better. And he said, yeah, he said, absolutely. He says, I get to come out here. I get to do what I love. And as long as I see a little incremental change in myself or the car every time, he said, I'm always encouraged to come back. And yeah, that's one of the things about, uh, when I first got into the sport, I thought I was a pretty good driver. Uh, you know, I drove my whole life and, uh, I got on, get out on the racetrack and realize it's a whole nother level of skill involved. And as I've progressed in the sport, um, it becomes more of a thinking man's um, game than it is the adrenaline kind of goes into the background and the, the degree of finesse that's involved in keeping a car, you know, at optimal speed throughout an entire lap, lap after lap demands uh, more of a person's uh, focus and uh, just finesse than it does brute, courage or strength and that was one of the elements uh, and if you get into racing it, it, a whole other set of character traits get challenged in terms of one's competitive side and uh, integrity and all the elements that go into racing uh, that is also something I didn't bargain on when I first got introduced to this hobby mm. but, um, but yeah the track um, I think it, if you this track was built to be challenging. It's not, I wouldn't say a beginner slope type track mm -hmm. or people just starting out. I mean, you, you can do okay, but it's, it's designed to be very technically challenging and uh, to drive it well will take somebody, at least someone with my skill level or uh, thereabouts, a fair amount of time before they're really going to feel like they've um, got a, a handle on it. Yeah, absolutely. And I was fortunate enough to get there early during one of the classroom sessions before people went out. And the um, folks sitting in the classroom, I, I want to say, ranged everything from there was a there was a uh, uh, girl with her dad in a pretty nicely. I saw them later in a WRX. And uh, Craig, who I was with, is also the editor of the uh, Subaru Performance magazine. And uh, he ended up making a story out of, out of meeting them while he was out there. So it actually worked out kind of nice. But the, the age groups went from, uh, you know, late teenage years to uh, people in their 60s. Oh, sure. Yep. I, um, I was kind of late to the game. I mean, you see kids, we've, we've had parents that wanted to bring their 14-year-old children out mm -hmm. who are licensed competitors i mean these kids you know start out in go-karting when they're eight years old or seven yep. or some, yep. some crazy youth but i was um, at lime rock when paul newman was still around and he was i think 82 83 yep and he was still competing a gt he had a um gt1 uh i don't know what it was camaro or something mm. and uh and he was you know in his mid early 80s yep. and struggling with cancer but uh he was one of the guys, he got into it late himself. Hmm. I think it was in his 40s before he, he was yep. making one of those movies. And uh, 
anyway, it's yeah, yeah it uh, attracts a huge uh, range of ages and backgrounds. Well, speaking of how do you keep the doors open, um, uh, how do you join? What's it cost? Is there is there a, is it a per day per year? Is initiation? Is it like joining a uh, upscale golf course? How does it work? Yes, we um, well we're trying to serve two different uh, markets. Okay, the car club we rent the place out like you would rent a, a banquet facility mm-hmm. to a group that wants to come in and they deal with their own. Um, schedule and event management. Mm -hmm. And then we also have a membership club, like a private uh, golf course Mm -hmm. or country club. And you can join the the initiation fee is about $9,000 now. It's gone up a little. And it gives you exclusive access for a certain number of days every year. Mm -hmm. At the higher level of membership, um, which is, I don't know, $22,000 you get more dates, more guest passes. And on these days, uh, we basically restrict it to members and mm-hmm. they get full use of the facility. For, and we offer many days throughout the season for them to come out and um, when they feel like it mm-hmm. and uh, use the place. And there's, we have dinners and uh, you know, other social yep. events that we try to organize. And, but it's really for people who want um, to drive their cars uh, at their own pace um, and on their own schedule. So the membership thing has worked out pretty well for, for those people for whom uh, this kind of flexibility and um, use is uh, yeah. affordable and attractive. And the club model is mostly on the weekends, and it's because they'll bring in many more people, it is more affordable per person. Um, than joining and people tend to want to like skiing or golf they're going to want to go to multiple venues and Mm -hmm. that we're we are just one of the venues on uh new england has a fair number of racetracks and so but we're hoping that we can be the home track to a lot of the groups that are headquartered out of the boston area yeah. No, and it's not, you know, you 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 know, you throw out 9,000 and 22,000 um, you know, 22,000 sounds like a lot of money, but Al was saying to me that it was actually you could actually transfer that membership uh once yeah. you once you own it. And that gives them over 30 days a year mm-hmm. if you do the if you plan to use it a lot and run the numbers if you belong to any racing or car club you realize going to the track is at least a few hundred dollars. So right. if you're getting 30 days a year and you're using anywhere 20 of them, say, even at, and the dues, so that's a one-time fee. The annual dues right. are much less. And so the price becomes a lot more attractive the more you, and we do want members that intend to use their membership. We're not looking just, I mean, I guess some people like to say they're a member of, someplace yeah and that has a certain cachet but no we're we're really interested in um the guys who are intending to drive and yep. love driving it's it's part of the um reason we're yep. we're here no and you so, and uh, you have future plans too i i mean right now you have a little bit of a, a small storage facility that people can leave their cars on site and you have uh, you had a you had a pretty good food truck when i was there by the way um and then, oh, and then, yeah, and then uh, yeah, the the classroom space. But you know, over time, you you guys want to try to expand that a little bit too, right? 
Oh, definitely. The yep. infrastructure will build out. We're trying to generate enough cash flow from the business to um, or outside interest to warrant the building of more substantial perm. People like to store their cars at the track and have it available to them when they come out. It's a good location for uh, if you have a vehicle that you use for um, driving on our track or other tracks mm-hmm. to have a place that you can uh, house it in your trailer. So these facilities, while part of the plan, weren't in the budget. Once Building a racetrack is pretty expensive and daunting, just getting it off the ground. And so the idea was to let's establish our ourselves financially, mm-hmm. um, pay, pay down some of the debt, and then um, look at expansion. And I think a restaurant, I mean, I've been told by the, the bank appraisers that it would be a, uh, an ideal site if we could put a restaurant up there, but um, yeah. we're not really permitted. <laughs> we're not really permitted for that. I'm not sure um, getting a restaurant open is high up on my list, but um, it is, a, it is a, a nice place, and I think it will, the market tends to point you in the direction you need to go by you know people kind right. of vote with their wallet and so we're being attentive to what you know ch- what's the market's expecting and looking for and to the extent we can accommodate it yep. we'll, we'll do that yeah the but storage facility goal, I, the storage facility idea sounds like a good idea because i know i was talking to somebody one time and they were telling me that uh behind uh, Ernie Box Ferrari dealership. There's a kind of nondescript building, and that's a storage facility for people who buy Ferraris and don't necessarily want to take them home. So they just yeah, store them there, that. store them there, and come down and use them when they want and put them away. So the idea that you could have a performance car that is tucked away in a storage facility, go up and use it, use it on the track, and and maybe drive around the area a little bit, come come back, put it away. And uh, know it's always there and it's secure and uh, it's uh, uh, kind of out of your way at home at the same idea. It sounds like it makes a lot of sense. Oh, yeah. It's the equivalent of, you know, boarding your horse at, yeah. a, at a, a place that you ride it all the time. And we have actually taken our rental garages and leased out more than half of it now uh, to people who want to do just, as you're yeah. saying, store their vehicle. and. um it's very convenient, uh, and most of these people, these are cars that people don't drive as a daily driver, right. so that's, they don't need it to be parked in their basement or, or garage um, most of the time. Yeah. So uh, it's been, um, I, you know, the automotive world it is still very much uh, alive, and it's changing a lot with, you know, technology and such, but um, as long as people are still enthralled with the open road and speed i i think uh racetracks and this the hobby of cars will continue for a very long at least to my life <laughs> yeah no so it, I, I i i agree with you every time every time i uh, i hear somebody say that you know kids today don't you know don't have the same interest in cars and i was at a little car show a couple of weeks ago and there was probably a kid he was probably 13 or 14 and he was sitting in a Miata and I went over and talked to him and uh, his, his dad was there 
and they have been they have been it was a Gen One Miata, and they have been working on this car together for about three years. And all this kid wants to do is just get old enough to get a driver's license so he can drive it. And when I hear those kind of things and I hear those kind of stories, it it still gives me some encouragement that there are going to be always going to be those uh, that interest in motorsports and interest in kind of what's what's happening and uh it it seems to work so you know your track um is just one of those unique venues where you know people can come out and they can join and like you said you can either join you know through a car club organization or your own membership and go out and have a good time in a safe environment with other people that have that that share your same level of safety and uh and, and, but yet you can go out and drive as fast or as slow as you feel comfortable. Yes, and for somebody who myself got a lot of speeding tickets uh, in my youth, uh, it's it's better to do this sort of thing in a it's closed circuit where it's intended to keep you from getting in trouble than yeah. you know, out on the public roads. So if you average out the speeding tickets and the insurance surcharge, this is cheap. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's very yes. It's uh, and it's more rewarding in yep. the end. I, yep. I think. Yeah. No. Ab- absolutely. When I and when I saw this guy in the Subaru with his daughter, and he was sitting, he was sitting on a lawn chair in the back of his trailer, watching his daughter go around the track, <laughs> and he looked as happy as can be, and even to the point where when the car came in, it was uh, it was making a little ticking noise coming from one of the front wheels, and but he was still as happy as can be. Yeah. Yeah, no. Yeah, it's, yeah. No, it's half the fun is uh driving it and the other half is fixing it. Yeah. I guess for for those for some people anyway. Yeah. yeah, no, no, you're absolutely right. If people want more information about Palmer Motorsports and and it's a little confusing because it's Palmer Motorsports and it's uh it's it's Whiskey Hill Racing, right? It's or there's kind Yes, of, we yep. well, yeah, we decided yep. to name the track the circuit after the hill that yep. it's built on Whiskey Hill. And yes, Palmer Motorsports Park is is kind of a mouthful, but uh, that was the name that was given to it by the previous uh, group. Yep. And so we just stuck with it. Yep. No. And so if people want more information, uh, the website is something like that. Palmer Motorsport. Yeah. Palmer yep. Motors. You can just Google Palmer Motorsports Park. Yep. And it'll take you right there. No, it's a it's a fantastic venue. And do you ever is there ever a time where you just kind of you know people are interested and they can just come out and kind of hang out for a little while and watch the cars go around, or do you have to be a member? No, you can. We, any of the dates that we're running a, a school or a lapping day, people are welcome to come and and poke around. And certain clubs, when they they're at the Sports Car Club of America, Tony's Track Day, mm-hmm. the Com Sports. Some of these sports car clubs are very open to having non-members sign the waiver. They, they're free to poke around the cars, ask questions, and watch whatever is going on on the track. Um, so it's up to the. But we're renting it out to these groups, and it's really their um, policy as yep. far as uh, guests coming in. Yeah, no, the the Com Club, which I think is was it Corvettes of Massachusetts or something. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. They exactly. they seem they seem very open to, uh, you know, talking with people and and for people who have a have an interest in you know racing or Corvettes or there's there's no better way to learn something and talk to people that are doing it and you know whether it's That's going right. to a car show and you're interested in buying a car or you're interested in a little bit of amateur racing. Fred, I want to thank you for taking some time out of your Saturday oh. morning and joining us and uh, talking about the track. Well, thank you, Sean Paul. I really 
enjoyed uh, speaking with you. All right. Take care now. Okay. Bye-bye. You too. Bye-bye. Fred Ferguson, the CEO of Palmer Motorsports Park, uh, Whiskey Hill Racing. I kind of like that name. I don't like the Whiskey Hill. Yeah, race. Whiskey Hill Racing. Yeah, it sounds, it. Yeah. sounds kind of cool. Yeah, uh, and you go up there, you go watch cars go around a little bit, and there's not, there's no grandstands. You, you know, you just kind of stand and watch them, and um, then you go to Old Sturbridge Village or something. You know, is it's, uh, it's sort of in that area. If you don't know where Palmer is, because I didn't, um, it's uh, you know off off the Pike or off of. Uh, uh, you know, 495 out to the Mass Pike kind of thing. Probably if you were at uh, Rentham Village Outlets, for instance, as a landmark, probably 40 minutes from there. So pretty pretty easy to get to from where we are here, probably closer to 80 miles maybe from from the station here to, to Palmer. So you look like you're doing calculations. No, I'm trying to um, figure out. Something. No, it's oh. not calculation. I'm trying oh. to research something. Oh, do math? No, yeah. no, no oh, math. Okay, all research right. something. All right. Well, why don't we take a break? Okay. How about that? And you can do all the you can do all the research you want. We'll come back. And we'll find out what you're researching. My name is John Paul. This is the Car Doctor Program. Give us a call at 617-770-3030. 617-770-3030. We'll be right back. And welcome back to the Car Doctor Program on AM 950 WROL, the Spirit of Boston. Uh, we'll be doing trivia a little bit later, and uh, also a couple couple follow ups of trivia from uh, last week. Uh, Peter from Yarmouth was kind of half joking about the fact that he was looking for an old-time compression tester. And um, another one of our listeners from Lynn, she has a compression tester. So she said, Peter can have my compression tester if he wants it. So in the uh, winning envelope was the contact information for her, so... I don't want to give out her name because, you know, maybe everybody's going to call her and say, can I get your compression tester? But uh, so, Peter, so you, you might you might have a compression tester. And I didn't even look to see if I had one. And I don't think I do. I think I, I think I gave it away to somebody who had low compression. <laughs> they needed to test it. So anyway, um, a new study came out from the folks over at iccars.com 
According to a recent Wall Street Journal report, auto deals have an unusually high number of new cars from the previous model year in inventory, which reflects maybe a little bit of the cooling of the U.S. auto market. A new IC car study examined 2 million new vehicles for sale, determined which vehicles have the highest amount of 2018 inventory as their 2020 models are being introduced. These vehicles provide great opportunities for shoppers to get a good deal on a new vehicle because the auto dealers will want to move them out of their inventory. Although you have to be a little careful. Tires still flat spot a little bit. So if they've been sitting in one spot for two years, tires might be a little bit noisy. Um, IC Cars found that only 4% of the average new cars inventory from 2018 model year uh, are still around. However, several vehicles have much more inventory from the 2018 model year available. Um, and these vehicles that have introduced uh, the 2020 inventory. So here's the most for sale. If you want to buy a Jeep Wrangler Unlimited, they have almost 20% of their inventory is still for sale. A little bit less of the regular Wrangler, about 16. The Porsche Macans, should you want to buy one. Uh, Mitsubishi Eclipse Cross, which I have yet to drive. Uh, Dodge Durango, Chrysler Pacifica, Chevy Malibu, Ford Echo Sport, Jeep Compass, and Kia Optima. Those are um, those are all vehicles that are 2018s that are still in inventory. That maybe there's some good deals out there, and maybe some dealers want to try to move those cars off their lots. So if you're thinking Jeep Wrangler or or Wrangler Limited, maybe you can get a good deal. Volkswagen said Friday it's recalling 679,000 U.S. vehicles sold since 2011 that could roll away because of an electrical issue. The recall covers the Jetta, Beetle, Beetle Convertible, Golf, Golf Sport Wagon, and GTI from various model years from 11 to 19 for its um, to be included in the recall, the vehicle must be equipped with an automatic transmission, manual handbrake, and no keyless entry. I think that's mine. Well, I have keyless entry, though. I don't have keyless start, which would make more sense. But um, the vast majority of the cars are, are, that are being recalled are Jettas at almost 499000 and Beatles at about 100000 The automaker said dealers may be able to remove the key after stopping without placing the car in park, which increases the risk the vehicle could roll away. Leaving the car in gear or in neutral with nothing there to stop it would certainly be a cause from concern. According to this article, Volkswagen said a buildup of silicate on the shift lever micro switch contacts is to blame. Um, here's the actual specific models. 2012 to 2019 Beetle, only about 65000 Beetle convertibles, 12 to 19, 28,000. Again, it says without keyless entry. I thought every one of those had keyless entry, so I'm not sure what they're talking about. Um, golfs um, from 2015, a handful of those. Uh, golf sport wagon, a car I really like, actually. And, of course, the Jetta, the plain old-fashioned Jetta, 11 to 2018, 541,000. Dealers will install with an additional switch and circuit board to disable the micro switch at the shift lever. Volkswagen said there's no reports of injury. Sounds kind of weird. Um, in a few short months, Harley-Davidson's lineup shifted from uh, zero electric offerings to having three battery-powered two-wheelers for three different age groups, well, sort of. Um, 
the Volts, uh, the uh, Harley Davidson Livewire is a real Harley Davidson full size motorcycle, but they also launched something called the Iron. I'm not even going to try. I R O N N E I R O N E twelve I R O N E sixteen. Two battery powered electric bicycles for kids between the ages of three and seven. Howie Davidson used uh, X Games Minneapolis early this month to unveil two products that hopes it will stall instill the love of riding in a younger generation. Both the 12 and 16 are basically pedal bicycles with swappable lithium-ion batteries attached. Um, each bike has three drive modes, training, standard, and advanced. Training keeps the top speed to 5 miles an hour. Uh, standard tops out at 7, and uh, advanced allows up to... Nine miles an hour, 11 on the 16, equipped with aluminum frames. The bikes weigh about 16 to 19 pounds. And uh, you can buy a Harley bicycle for kids for about 700 bucks. So I guess if you're really interested in one of those, you can go out and buy one. The other Volkswagen news, which is the most unnewsy news I've heard, is Volkswagen's going to change their logo. What? Yeah. Why? Well, and they're not. But it made headlines, which I don't... It said Volkswagen, uh, it looks like the automotive world is finally getting on that design trend as well. Uh, specifically, Volkswagen is changing its logo, moving away from the bubble-like blue and white VW sign to a simple flat black and white logo. So that little kind of half, little curvy blue and white, they're doing away with it and making it flat and black and white. Okay. Why? And why make my, why make news about that? And I'm just as bad because I'm talking about it. Uh, but uh, that isn't to say the new logo hasn't uh, been out in the wild at all. It's been used on a new Hello Light ad campaign as well as on some prototypes. But the fir- first production to get it will likely be the new Golf. While one manufacturer changing the logo doesn't make for a pattern, two manufacturers would like at least to start is where Lotus comes in. If you ever see a Lotus. And uh, here's what I miss. And I was at, last Saturday, I was down the Cape for a little while. And and um, I went to a little car show. And this Thursday evening, I was coming home from work and I got off because uh, traffic was kind of heavy. And uh, I was... Uh, driving on 138 by the old uh, Raynham Dog Track, and there's a car show there every other Thursday night. So it was about, I don't know, 6 o'clock. So I swung in to see what was going on at the car show. And what I really miss is script writing on the side of cars and names. Something like, you know, a BMW 325 actually kind of meant something when it actually meant that it was a two and a half liter engine. Now it really doesn't mean anything because it could be a two liter engine with a turbocharger, a two liter engine without a turbocharger still get it's, they have different names. The names don't don't necessarily coincide with, but I miss some of the script writing that's, that that's used to be on the side of cars where the letters connected together. I, I just, I don't know. It was kind of a classic look and I kind of liked it and, now you don't see it, and the idea of Volkswagen doing something like, oh, we're going to change our logo from bubble-shaped to flat black and white, black and 
silver or whatever color it is. Just, if you're going to change it, change it to something interesting. That's what I have to say. Uh, speaking of people that always have something to say, our buddy Rick's on the phone. Rick, is that you? Yeah, that's me. Yeah, what's up? Well, last week you mentioned that uh, Carvana was making uh, just over $3,000 in profit for uh, Her vehicle. each car they sell. Yeah. And what's the average profit uh, for a car? Now, I know uh, a Rolls Royce or a Ferrari would probably have a bigger markup margin than um, a Cooper or a Fiat, but uh, what's, what, what are they average at? Um, you know, it can be it can be just pure profit. It can be anywhere from nothing to three or four thousand dollars. Car dealers make more on the accessories of the sale, things like wheel and tire insurance, key fob insurance, gap coverage for insurance. Uh, than sometimes they do on the actual sale of the car. And that sometimes is what uh, is where the profit is more than the car. But I remember talking to a car dealer uh, a bunch of years ago, and he bought a bunch of one-year-old fleet cars. And the, I think these happen to be Buicks. And he said to me, um, I'll tell you, he said, we make $1,000 per car when we sell them. And he said, there's some new cars. We don't make $1,000 per car. Now, granted, at the end of you know the year, there may be, there may be incentives for how many cars get sold. Uh, you know, obviously, you, you, can't be a, you can't be a David Rosenberg with his prime dealerships or Herb Chambers or, or Danny Quirk and building these big dealerships and not make any money on car sales because the shop doesn't make the doesn't doesn't make up for it either even though the shop now has to absorb a lot more of the expenses of the operation than he used to but yeah um, I would be willing to bet that uh, most new car dealers if they made three thousand dollars per car would be extraordinarily happy okay I'll just just curious yeah. came to my mind yep. afterwards on that yeah no and something like a a land Rover a Rolls-Royce, a Ferrari, they make a lot of money per vehicle because they don't sell a lot of cars. So, you know, you yeah, go buy you go to. buy a Rolls-Royce or a Bentley dealer, and if they're, you know, how many of those are they really going to sell each month? Yeah. It's more like how many are they going to really sell each year? They're not going to sell a lot. So there's, there's uh, money to be made there. And then you have to look at expenses. You know, out in New York, for instance, Mercedes of Manhattan, is actually owned by Mercedes because a Mercedes dealer can't afford to keep a dealership in Manhattan because the costs are so expensive. So that's a dealership that sort of loses money all the time because they want to have that presence in a big city. But, uh, hey, Rick, you're beeping. No, no, uh, I just don't think of my yeah, car. Yeah, so uh, as long as it wasn't like, you, you know, as long as it wasn't your, uh, your battery running out, you know, no, no. Yeah. Actually, what it is yeah. is that uh, I'm in a parking lot because I got to pick up stuff at a store. There you go. And in my car, so uh, I just rolled up the window. There you uh, go. That's all right. A little quieter. That's all right. We appreciate that. So yeah. So that's just. That, I would say that's the story. You know, when it comes to car profit, I would say that's probably a, you know, probably realistic. Like I said, when I um, when I bought my little Hyundai Santa Fe last year, um. They actually lost $1,000 when they sold it to me. 
But they also made yeah. they also made four thousand dollars on the car that the the car that sold right before mine. So, you know, and it wasn't yeah, because well, I was, um, yeah, it wasn't because I was a great negotiator. I went in with the uh, with the auto buying program that AAA has, which is you know, tell you a little secret, which is really nothing more than true car with our name on it. And uh, because I didn't I didn't go with any of the other stuff, um, they actually lost money on the sale. So. Well, and then, um, then, then again, they went out of business. Side now, note so. in today. Yep. Um, yesterday, I was on my motorcycle early, you know, around eight, eight o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. It was still sprinkling a little bit, and people were actually giving me less courtesy on the road than they did earlier in the week when it was dry out. Wow! I, you know, because the road was still wet, wet, and there's a little mist coming down on that. You know, um, hey guys, you know, if a motorcycle is taking it easy especially if the weather's a little on the bad side mm-hmm. give them a break yeah no absolutely absolutely makes all kinds of sense <laughs> not, not to the people behind me <laughs> hey rick always good talking to you have a good one john bye you too bye-bye uh let's talk to uh, richard from whitman richard hey, hey good, good morning, morning. Doctor. how are you Good morning. Listen, uh, uh, just give me a second here. Um, I, I need to pull over. I thought you were going to be holding me up. I'm just, I don't like That's, to talk on the phone. Well, we, we, we appreciate right. that. So don't talk on the phone. I'll talk well, to Dennis. Yeah. I'll talk to Dennis for a minute. No, no, you no, tell no, me no, when no, you're no, 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 I'm fine. Oh. I'm fine. I just okay. pulled into a side street. All right. All right. All right. So listen, this is what happened. I, I had a, uh, com- I had the compressor, the, uh, compressor replaced on my air conditioner. Yeah. In the car in a mm-hmm. 2013 Nissan Altima. Okay. All right. I had it. Re- I had it replaced at uh, 70,000 miles. So I have a little over 70,000 uh, in uh, on the 17th of uh, 17th of last month, July. Mm-hmm. All right. A couple of days ago, Thursday actually, I had the condenser replaced. Okay. On the same car. All right. Wouldn't it seem? Wouldn't it seem like they should have spotted the leaking condenser? At the same time that they uh, that they fix the uh, the um, compressor, uh, out of words. Yeah, I I would now. Why did well? Let's let's start from the beginning here. Why did you bring it in when the air conditioning didn't work back then? What what was it? Was well, it just that it didn't work? Uh, right. All right. Go back a month into June. Okay. And I was getting little or no AC out. Okay. Of it. So I went in. I went into the dealer for a recharge. Mm-hmm. They recharged it. Mm-hmm. Within a couple of weeks, I was back to getting no AC. Mm-hmm. You know, I was very, very minimum. Yep. Mm-hmm. So I went back to them and I said, "Listen, there's something else wrong. And it didn't just need a recharge." So they didn't pick up on the fact that that the compressor was bad when they did the recharge. But mm-hmm. he, 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 you know, that blah 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 yada yada yep. yada thing they give you. Uh, about they put a machine on it, and the machine tells them how much to put in and yep. so yep. forth and so mm-hmm. on. All right. So, all right, so I'm out that 100 bucks for the first. Recharge, yep. get, yep. gonna, yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. Mm-hmm. So they put, the new compre- they put the new compressor in on the 17th of July, and at that time, everything was fine for a couple of weeks. Until it all leaked out. I was getting yep. not as much AC as you would expect, but I was getting some AC. Hmm. Not then. It started getting worse and worse and worse to the point where 
I was sweltering in the car. You know, yep. so I went back to them uh, a couple of days ago, Thursday, as a matter of fact. I went back to them Thursday, and I said, there's something else wrong with this car. I'm not getting any air conditioning. So the guy comes back to me a few minutes later, and he says, it's the condenser. Okay. So I said, why wasn't that picked up at the time that the compressor, mm-hmm. if it was indeed the compressor that was wrong? Um, he said, well, and he went through that yada, yada, blah, blah, blah thing, you know, that they go through. They're very good at it. You know, well, you know what, you know, things are happening. And, uh, P.S. But so anyway, that's, does that seem like too much of a coincidence that both of them would yeah, go? Uh, 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 well, uh, yeah, I mean, other? I'm, I'm kind of thinking the condenser was a problem right from the very beginning. Um, Strangely enough, yeah. I mean, it's it's odd that a condenser. It's odd that a compressor. I mean, compressors will leak. There's no question about it. Um, Yeah, and he said something about. I'm sorry, an O-ring. Yeah, an O-ring that needed to be replaced also at at the first one. Yeah, at the compressor. Yeah. So go ahead. Um, You know, could could there have been a tiny little leak? You know, first off, when they when you brought it in and it wasn't working the first time, and they added refrigerant to it they should have added refrigerant right. and a dye because it it obviously leaked out of somewhere so they should have added something to it to try to figure out and then gone and tested the system to see where there was a leak and then if they said you know what we spent about 15 minutes looking for a leak it's got to be so small that it's just impossible to find um but then when you came back a couple of weeks later and it wasn't working to jump to the compressor Seems to me that wouldn't be the first place that I would expect to see a leak. Because you expect to see leaks at the condenser, the evaporator, some of the lines, because that's where that's where most of all the vibration and abuse takes place, especially the condenser. I mean the condenser mounts in front of the radiator. It's subject to you know, it's subject to potholes and bumps and you know, ends up, you know, can end up with a pinhole or a crack or corrosion or whatever the case is. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, at this point, you know, now, you know, now where are you with it? You know, can you go back to them and say, hey, look, you know, I think you misdiagnosed it. And, um, you know, I th- the idea and their, their story might be, you know, if you if you came back to if you came back to um, Honest Dennis's garage here. And said, uh, and said, um, you know, hey, you put a condenser, you put a compressor in my car, and the AC doesn't work. And I said, well, let us take a look at it, look at it, and go, yeah, you you need a condenser because you know, uh, you know, this new compressor puts out, you know, puts out uh, higher pressure, and you know, it actually, you know, found a weak spot, and the weak spot was the condenser, and you know, that's what the problem was. Um, you you think for one second any dealership is gonna agree? Uh, Agree to that? No, but no, but what I'm saying is that's what that might have been their story. Their story might be, you know, we didn't do anything wrong. We didn't misdiagnose it. It's what it was that that condenser was. It wasn't really leaking until we put this new um, compressor in, and the compressor, you know, was was working the way it should, and that's what blew a hole in the in the weak condenser. Um, I don't know. I don't. I'm not buying that. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm. I'm. Yeah. You know, my my feeling is that. It was a condenser all along, and the and the and the compressor was a misdiagnosis. Or it could have been a combination of both. I mean, it could. I mean, Dennis is right. It could. Have, could it have been a combination it of both? Have, yeah. It could have been. 
Um, so, but, but that isn't where I would have but, jumped to conclusion. I, I'm in agreement. I think, and I and um, a friend of mine had something like this happen to him not too long ago, where um, they had to go through a series of issues. But the the garage they went to, I can't remember where it was. Um, They're like, oh well, we we replaced just like you. They replaced the compressor first, and then the, or the condenser. The, the compressor first, then the condenser went. So they just said, you know, we'll just charge you for the the condenser, and the la- we're not going to charge you for the labor. Yeah, I mean that would that would have been that would have been a very reasonable thing if you came into them and said, you know what, we're not sure. We'll we'll take care of the recharge. We'll take care of the labor. You take care of the part, and you probably would have been happy with that. I would think. Um, I'd have been a lot happier yeah. than I am yeah. right now. Yeah. Yeah, again, I'm I mean, I'm out sixteen I'm out sixteen hundred dollars. Right. It was it was just a little under a thousand for the uh for the compressor the original right. compressor. Yep. And then it was six hundred and I don't know, fifteen, twenty bucks. Yep. So so sixteen hundred rounded out. Yeah. For, and I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm sitting here with an air conditioner that's not running right now, but yep. the air conditioner's running fine. But for sixteen hundred dollars. Right. You know, where it was either six hundred or a thousand, one or the other. I'd have said the car is, you know, the car's got seventy five thousand miles on it. Stuff happens, right? You know. Uh, by the way, just just as a, this is a Nissan now four cylinder. Yep. My daughter bought a couple of years after I bought this one, so it's like a two thousand fifteen or sixteen, and she's got less than fifty thousand miles on it, and her condenser went. Hmm. Doesn't that seem odd? It 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 and does and what, it does, but. Hers, I mean, it could could have been anything, but you know, like I said from the very beginning, condensers are one of those things that are subject to a lot of abuse. Um, right. You know, I I on my own car a bunch of years ago, the car was probably three or f- I had to be older than that, five years old, and uh, I backed into my driveway in a snowstorm, and I'm pretty convinced that there was enough snow and ice when I was backing up that it just shook the condenser just right and cracked it and when I went to use the AC in the spring I'm like huh isn't working and then I looked down and I could actually see oil leaking from the corner of the condenser which is the lubricant that you know swishes around inside the the air conditioner and you know that's what it was was it because I backed up in the snow or is it because I drove you know drove a you know drove 50 miles home and ruts and you know, and it shook it around enough where it cracked it. Who knows? And that may have been on a newer car. And the other thing, the other, not to sound, not to sound like everybody's father, uh, they just don't make stuff the way they used to, you know? And, and, you know, it's all made out of lightweight aluminum to try to save weight and save cost. And this stuff doesn't take the abuse the way it used to. So, and also we live no, in no, New England and not and for nothing. But I'll tell you honestly, I'm, yeah. I'm a, I'm a few years older than you are. I know how old you are. You and Paul are the same age. Yep. You and Paul Sullivan are approximately the same age, and I've got about eight years on you, so I'm 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 no kid. I, I'm this is not my first car. <laughs> this is not my first car, but uh, you know I, I started buying new uh, in 2003, and I bought this, and I'm very ha- I was very ha- I'm happy yep. with this car right up until then. Everything else that happened to the car with brakes and was just a routine. Drivability right. things, but I, I just thanks for letting me get me. I, I'm yep. not gonna go. I'll, I'll go back. To, I'll go back to them and I'll say to them, listen, maybe there's a diagnosis here. Yeah. 
yeah. or whatever. Yeah. But I don't expect them to give me any of my money back. I, I, be, I mean, I, and it's kind of hard. They do, but yeah, I mean, it's kind of hard now because you paid for it, you agreed to pay for it, it's over. But still, you know, would it hurt to go back and talk to the general manager or service manager yeah, and say, right. and say hey, no, look, you know, because- you know, I kind of put the pieces together here, and is there – is you know it sounds like there's a good possibility you guys might have misdiagnosed it and and maybe the you know you know was there was there you know what was the reason that the that the compressor was bad and is there any chance that even maybe when you were disconnecting the uh, lines that went to the compressor did you damage the condenser somehow um, you know just they should they should, you know in I mean, it's like trying to find a leaky water pipe sometimes. You fix one, and then another one springs a leak, and another one does. And so is it possible? Yeah. But, you know, it's, uh, you know, I think I think there's room for just some discussion with the dealership. How's that? All right. Well, okay. W- well, we'll do that. All right. Listen, one, one more quick thing. Sure. Be quick. A couple of, several times you've mentioned that on the BMWs, the sounds of the car accelerating, uh, have come from the subwoofer as opposed to actually from the yep. from the engine and the uh, exhaust. Yep. Do do people outside the car hear that sound? No. Or is it just no? Something? No. What happens in no. Europe? In Europe, they have to have the the sound ordinances in Europe are more strict than they are here. So what happens is, um, and some of and some of them are a little bit loud. But um, so what happens to get the to get the uh, performance sound they run it they run it through the stereo system and it sounds just like the engine accelerating but when you're outside the car it doesn't sound like anything so it it keeps the it keeps right. the uh the little old you know keeps the little old neighbors happy so it doesn't make any noise but it makes you feel like mario andretti well you know my analogy on this is it's like my three-year-old grandson sits down with his toy cars and goes vroom vroom yeah. right you know, I'm sure you've had small children in your life at one time or another who do exactly the same thing. They they have some kind of a noise, and that's what it sounds like. Like the the, the I'm not going to insult yeah. the person that yeah. owns the BMW, but the the person is being I won't say tricked because they have to they, know. No, 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 they're being tricked. They're being tricked. Um, <laughs> for the for the first couple of years, <laughs> BMW didn't tell anybody they were being tricked. It's not enough to have enough money to buy a BMW. But then that's not enough to know yeah. when somebody's pulling the wool yeah. over there. Well, and, well, oh, okay. yeah, nobody, nobody said you, nobody said you're smart if you have money. Um, the well, uh, I, yeah, I understand that. Yeah, yeah, we don't, yeah. Oh, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> but the but the other the other the other thing is too. Even Ford kind of did a little bit of trickery with one of their cars. They actually ran. Um, I, I don't know what to call it. Almost like a sound funnel inside the car. So when you accelerated, you would hear the whoop noise when you accelerated, but it was actually an air horn that that went inside the car. So it sounded like it was, it sounded like that sound of air rushing into a intake, but it was actually just an echo chamber that came inside the car. So it sounded like it sounded like uh, you were you put your foot to the floor, which you were, but on the outside it didn't sound like it didn't sound like anything. Yeah. All right. I don't know. All right. Dreams this stuff up. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, it was people, right. I've, people I've smarter than me. Hey, thanks for the call. Take All care right. now. Thank you yep. very much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 
Let's take a quick break. My name is John Paul. This is the Car Doctor Program. I promised that we would do trivia. And it's an anniversary trivia question, sort of. Birthday trivia question. Something like that. My name is John Paul. This is the Car Doctor Program. We will be right back. Well, the other day I went out my rig to some Saturday tracks that I heard was big. My rig is a big old Cadillac towing a big double. And welcome back to the Car Doctor Program on AM 950 WRL, the Spirit of Boston. Um, well, it's sort of an anniversary of sorts. Um, and on August 13th, 1959, something happened. And it helped save lives. It was the three-point seatbelt. Which car got the first three-point seatbelt? If you know the answer to that. I know the brand. I know well, the car Okay. Well, which brand? Which brand? Okay. If you know the answer to that. Model? I don't know. Wow. We could do the model, too, but no. Um, if you know what brand in 1959, August 13th of 1959, introduced the first three-point seatbelt, we will give you a prize of some kind. And I also know that they gave the patent up for free. They didn't make any money on it. Very Elon Musk-like of them. But anyway, so uh, if you know if you if you know uh, what the answer to that is, we will give you something. Uh, I don't know what it is. I don't know what I'm. I don't. I'm down to running out of stuff. So <laughs> we'll give you our undying gratitude of a fantastic. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah. So we'll give you. We'll give you something. We'll give you. But we'll let Dennis answer the phones, and we'll we'll let it we'll let it maybe we'll have maybe we'll use the random number generator to try to figure out. Yeah, yeah, randomizer, which I think I still have. So, yeah, so there's all kinds of stuff. So anyway, so that was quick. Well, we'll we'll do it just like them. They came in, I guess. So let's. Uh, Let's talk to Peter in Salem. Peter? Hey, hi, John. How are you? Was it an Edsel? No, but Ford did the safeguard uh, safety belts in 1956. But, mm. hmm. but it wasn't a three-point belt. No, I know. It was just a lap belt. Mm. People asked Ford mm. to take them out because they sat on them. Yeah. Ah, uh, right. Um, I'm going to say a Corvette. I'm going to say you're wrong. Really? Oh. Yeah. Yeah, oh, so I'm going to say you're wrong. Sorry, Peter. Uh, that's okay. All right. All right, thanks, All right, take John. care. Yep, bye-bye. Bye. Go to uh, Steve up in New Hampshire. Oh, oh. Salem, Mass. Oh, Salem, Mass. Oh, okay. Sorry. We'll talk to Steve in Salem. Steve? Yes, good morning, John. Good morning. Uh, I believe it was in the Volvo. 
I believe you are absolutely right. It was in a Volvo. Wow. So I'll tell you what. You stay right there. Uh, Dennis will take down your name and address, and we'll send you something. Oh, okay. Thank you very much. All right. Have a nice day. You, you as well. Right. So there's a whole big story here about seatbelts. And it says, uh, at the risk of sounding like your parents, an annoying public service announcement or naggy safety companion, wear a seatbelt whenever you're in the vehicle. Consider physics when your vehicle slams into something and rapidly decelerates. Bodies in motion tend to stay in motion. So if you're not strapped down, guess what? Uh, your car, and there's actually three parts of a crash, as, as much more or some graphic part that you don't need to know about. But... You know, there's three parts of a crash. Your car hits something, you hit something inside your car, and something inside of you moves around. So we'll use your head, for instance. So when you're in a crash, your car hits something, your body hits something, and then your brain bounces off the inside of your head. And it's that third part of the crash that generally does you in. And the same thing with internal organs and other stuff. All the accidents that I have had, I cannot. We, we call them crashes. Yeah. <laughs> all the all crashes. the crashes that I have had, I cannot believe that I have never had a concussion or a real major major injury. Were you wearing a seatbelt? Of course. Yeah. One one I will tell you one I wasn't initially wearing my seatbelt and I was coming up over a hill and my something in my head said, "Hey, you're not wearing a seatbelt. You should probably put it on." I clicked it on. Yep. Ten seconds. Ten later. seconds later. Yeah. Boom. See, just when you know, just whenever you think that maybe there isn't some other force or something that watches over you. Um, my only real, I've, I've been involved in a few crashes, but there was one I wasn't wearing my seatbelt a bunch of years ago, and that was the one that I got pretty badly banged up. Um. Concussion, bruised spleen, compound fracture, broken hand, some contusions. Um, yeah, so slid off an icy road into a. I thought I was just going to drive up over a sidewalk and blow out a couple tires, and the tree stopped me. They stopped you quick. Yeah, it did. It did. So, um, but anyway, so um, and I spent the night in the hospital. You know, it was. It's just it wasn't it wasn't a great situation. So, uh, but anyways, that's why you should always wear your seatbelt. But um, Volvo in the fifties had helped develop, uh, oddly enough, ejection seats for car for aircraft. And uh, this at the Swedish automaker, uh, there was a guy. His last name was Bolin. And he was tasked with putting his uh, specialized knowledge use, taking his expertise about extreme forces of impact on the human body and focusing on keeping occupants inside a vehicle. Uh, Bolin believed that while Y-shaped seatbelts marked a step in the right direction in terms of adequately distributing crash forces over a wider area, it was equally important to ensure that those forces are distributed across strong areas of the body. So instead of running uh, belts Across occupant's body, he des- he designed a belt pathway that crisscrosses the mo- most robust pieces, the shoulder, chest, and pelvic bone. Belts and bones, that's the way it works. Uh, seat belts work across, that's why they go across your hip, 
and not your stomach because your hips are where really strong bone. That's why it goes across your collarbone because your collarbone is really strong as opposed to your neck. Yeah. 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 So, but <laughs> that's a, that way, but yeah. that's a really strong bone. Your shoulder and your collarbones are really strong. That's why, that's why. So, um, so even Volvo only installed the three point belts in the front seats at first. It would take till 1967 for automakers to add them to rear seats. Volvo sold the first car ever with today's three-point belts in place uh, to a customer in Sweden on August 13, 1959. The first Volvo sold with belts were the PV544, uh, you know, the little funny-looking little Volvo. looks like an old antique American car. Um, and only in Nordic countries. Volvo thus became the first car maker in the world to equip its car with safety belts as standard. After that, Volvo spent years convincing the rest of the auto industry that belts were valuable lifesavers. It put on numerous presentations with live-action crash dummy demonstrations and cited data and studies. Um, Volvo even tracked down every crash involving its vehicles over one year in Sweden. 28,000 crashes in all. Not good drivers to Swedes, apparently. If they run, seems like in that in that year, whatever that year, um, the three-point belts, according to their estimation, help spare drivers and passengers uh, death and reduced injuries by fifty to sixty percent. That's a number that still sticks around today. That seatbelts can reduce uh, serious injuries and death by sixty percent. Add airbags into the mixture; it adds another fifteen or twenty percent. So, combination of airbags and seatbelts, you would think, would keep you ultimately safe until the point where it can't because you're doing you're going too fast or whatever. Volvo claims that by next year no one driving a 2020 Volvo will be involved in a fatal crash. I don't know how well, you know put that spray foam that was in Demolition Man in yeah, the car. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But they say that between their automatic emergency braking system, seatbelt systems, laminated glass, soft stuff around the inside of the car. Um, somewhere on one of the old podcasts, I have a quote from the Volvo engineer who said that. So he didn't say when in 2020. So we got a, quite a text. Yep. Um, uh, they have a 2019 Kia Sorento with a whopping um, 2,200 miles on it. Mm -hmm. um, they're getting an error uh, saying... Um, Check blind spot collision warning, and it like kind of rapid fires on and off. Mm -hmm. The dealer's had it for two days now and can't diagnose the problem, although they know there is a problem. What do you know about it? Anything? Nothing more than the dealer would know. There's okay. a there's a problem with the sensor wiring, something like that. Um, it is. Uh, uh, it you know it starts off with well, let's check it, and make sure it's not dirty. You know, go look at the sensors and make sure they're clean and not. Um, not acting up. Uh, the systems use a series of like computer wiring to connect back to the computer in the car. It could be some interference from there. Uh, I drove a Hyundai that had kept would get a warning periodically that said front camera blocked, and I went over and looked at the front camera and it wasn't blocked by anything. So I don't know what it said it was being blocked by. Um, but so same kind of thing. So electrical interference, bad sensor. I would start. I'm surprised the dealer didn't start with um, testing and replacing the sensor first, rather than just saying, "Well, it's intermittent. We don't know what it is." But I mean, it sounds like they're working on. It. I mean, yeah, it's been two days. Two days. But. Yeah, yeah. I mean, usually what they'll do, they'll start with calibration, and 
all of the advanced uh, driver assistance systems have to be very specifically calibrated. So they need 75 or 100 feet of sort of space. They set markers out. They check everything to make sure it's all aimed and calibrated correctly. Uh, but my first thought would be somehow during installation a sensor got damaged, uh, and it could very well be the sensor itself, uh, which is purchased by the manufacturer, they could have just got to run a bad sensors. And maybe that's why I saw it in a Hyundai and he's seen it in a Kia. Uh, they're probably all bought by the same, you know, same time and made by the same sensor manufacturer. Could be. Yeah. Um, why don't we take another break? Because I think we have to take one. Why don't we do that now? And if you would like to call us, our phone numbers open at our phone lines are open at 617-770-3030. When we come back, I want to talk about the Nissan Kicks. Kicks? What's a Kicks? Well, you really find out cool when I come car. back. Or it's a pair of sneakers. Could be. Yeah. We'll be right back. Have you heard the story of the hot rod race with the Fords and the Lincolns was set in the pace? That story is true. I'm here to say I was driving that Model A. It's got a Lincoln motor and it's really souped up. And welcome back to the Car Doctor Program on AM 950 WROL. Well, the Nissan Kicks is not a pair of sneakers made by Nissan. Or a breakfast cereal. Um, when did they start calling, like, cool-looking sneakers Kicks? I was calling them Kicks when I was a kid, and I'm going to be 47 at the end of this year. So so I, so I missed, like, several decades of Kicks. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Well, anyway, the Nissan Kicks is a front-wheel drive only subcompact SUV that uh, seats five. And is it really an SUV if it's front-wheel drive? Sure it is. Yes. Yeah, because, you know. If it was rear-wheel drive, I'd say I don't think so. But it still could be. But, I mean, the If it's a sport of, utility vehicle. Yeah, but the part of the utility is so that it can get through harder terrain. So it would like, have to be. Like the like, flat roads in Florida? Or the snow in New England. Yeah, but yeah, we're not the only, you know, there's other parts of the country that nothing ever happens. True. Uh, except it rains. Apparently, that's all it does in Florida right now is rain. Um, but anyway, it's a uh, it's a subcompact SUV. It's each five. It's powered by a 125 horsepower, 1.6 liter, four-cylinder engine. A continually variable automatic transmission uh, comes standard, as do a host of other features. The Kicks comes in three trim levels, SSV. And uh, SR, and we road tested the SV. The 1.6 liter four cylinder engine, compared to other vehicles in its class, trails in horsepower but manages to do more than an adequate job of getting the car up to highway speed, passing slow moving vehicles, things like that. You do have to push all the way to the floor on the accelerator, 
makes a little bit of noise, but pretty drama-free as things go. The CVT transmission does a good job of keeping relatively quiet, and only under hard acceleration does the combination of small engine and CVT get a bit raucous. Um, during my time with the kicks, fuel economy uh, averaged, uh, according to the onboard computer, about 36 miles per gallon. Overall, ride and handling are slightly better than what you would expect in an economy car. The electric power steering is actually pretty good. Uh, the combination of uh, tight turning radius makes the kicks easy to pilot around city streets. The ride is smooth on all but the worst roads. The overall handling won't compete with a sports sedan, but presents no surprises in driving situations. Visibility is generally very good. Uh, to the front and rear, but I did have to make some very careful mirror adjustments to fully eliminate blind spots to the side. Our test model did have blind spot warning as well as front collision warning systems. The interior of the kicks is a bit of a mixed uh, bag. There are some hard plastic surfaces, but overall the fit and finish is pretty good. The front seats, unlike uh, other economy subcompacts, sub remained uh, pretty comfortable even after a few hours behind the wheel. So I drove it quite a bit and... Uh, it was it was pretty good. I took it out to Devon's to do a presentation with a bunch of uh, kids. Uh, sh actually showed them how to change a flat tire, use this vehicle as an example. Showed them how to check the oil, use this vehicle as an example. Showed them how to check the power steering fluid. Oops, it doesn't have any because it's electric power steering. Sh tried to show them how to check the transmission fluid. Mm, can't, sealed. It does have a dipstick, but they don't want you to take it out. They they coat it with a plastic cover, so you can't you can't put anything in there. Then what's the point of the dipstick? Um, you break the seal off if you do need to actually check it or refill it because there's a leak. But they don't auto manufacturers don't want you playing with their transmission fluid anymore. Uh, a lot of Toyota Camrys now, no dipstick at all. My own car haven't even looked. I'll say that um, when I was looking um, before I got my replacement rogue i was taking a look at the kicks the only reason i really didn't get it is because of the subcompact size it is subcompact i mean i could fit into it yeah, you could any... you you i could see you fitting into it with decent head headroom absolutely um anybody sitting behind me no not as much although a little bit of adjustment you could put adults back there fold the rear seats down the cargo space actually got really good yes um i had to carry about 200 pounds of stuff one day. And um, I put a blanket back there so it would stay clean because it's not my car. So I have to be, you know, so I tend to be a little extra fastidious, I guess, to make sure that fastidious. nothing happens. Um, and, uh, I mean, when I when I get the cars, they come, they come spotlessly clean. And I try to give them back spotlessly clean. Sometimes I'm even out there with my little cordless vacuum cleaner vacuuming the beach sand out of them. So... Uh, so they stay clean. So I try to give them back as nice as I got them, and I and uh, to the point of you know making sure that uh, I always give the car a walk around, and somehow if there's a parking lot ding or dent, I always let the folks know so they they know it happened on my watch. Um, it does have uh, something my car doesn't have. It has Apple CarPlay and mm -hmm. Android Auto. I didn't think I would miss that. I kind of think I do miss Apple. I haven't even tried it. CarPlay. You you did you have it in your old one? No, no. I mean, it, it basically just mirrors your phone. So for certain apps, not all apps. Yeah, like but, if you have Google Apps, forget it. Um, it works pretty good with Google Maps. For on Apple Play. Yeah, really? on Apple CarPlay. Yeah, I, that's what I tend to use. I use that. More yeah, than, I use Google Maps. Yeah, but. 
Yeah, and it and it works and uh, it works pretty good with Waze, which is also a Google Apps. Which I don't like Waze. No, I'm a Waze hater, um, because too many people when traffic backs up step on the brakes, slow down to look at their phone to see if there's an exit they have to take, and that backs traffic up for another mile. I have seen so many times this year traffic come to a complete stop, and I can see way ahead because we're in position, and there's no reason. Mm-hmm. And it's actually, technically it's called, well, I don't know how technical this is, it's called the turtle effect of traffic, where one person slows down, the next person behind them has to slow down a little more, the next person slows down a little bit more, and then all of a sudden... Route 24 is notorious for it. That's right. Turtle effect. You can be going 85 miles an hour one second, which yep. you should never be going that fast, but yep. you can be. You can, then, you can be. You could be. And then, and the then second, you're going zero. zero. <laughs> and then it's like, well, what happened? Nothing happened. And then you sit there for a few seconds, yep. and then you're going yep. 85 miles an yep. hour again. Yeah, and that's because all it takes is one person to dump their coffee over, look at their phone, or look at ways. And I'm convinced that some people are – and especially where, where Waze lets you um, – Enter in information while you're driving so you can put, oh, cop ahead or something. It just causes causes more problems. So uh, bottom line, the Kicks is friendly, fun-to-drive subcompact SUV that's comfortable, competent, and returns very good fuel economy. If you can live without all-wheel drive and knowing you don't have the quickest car on the block, the Kicks by Nissan is a good choice. Four-cylinder engine, 31 city, 38 highway, prices tested $21,630. So, so in the world of... Not bad. Economy, pretty good. Hey, Sully's over there just hanging out. I'm way over here. This way is over there. What are you doing way over there? It's a different perspective. Yeah. I have uh, access to all the things that I need to make a uh, really, really, really smooth transition. Do I look any better from over there? Yeah. Yeah? Is, yeah. That, that, unquestionably. That because your vision's not as good? You're further away? Well, you get a nice haircut. No, I'm actually going to go get a haircut. No, don't. You look good. No, um, do I? <laughs> the color's good. You know, the light's coming the light's out. The light's good. And right and, yeah. Right, yeah, you look great. Yeah. Maybe I don't need I don't need those lenses over the lights to give me a little bit more color. <laughs> that's, that's why the Lord makes your vision go when you're <laughs> that what age, it is, yeah. you know, so you look yeah. better. So what's up for the Irish Hit Parade? You took last week off because your back was bothering you. Was, uh, uh, you know, it's funny. I was I was talking to Bobby Brooks and I said, any way you can come in? This is last week. And mm-hmm. He said, what's up? And I said, well, I went to the doctor and I finally, after you, you know, I've had a bad back yep. for decades and actually I had surgery. How, how long of, you had a week back? Well, about a week back, yeah. you can't sneak out yeah, one by me. Um, but I had surgery back in the year 2000, and that's about 20 years ago now. Mm. So uh, the doctor back then said you might have some uh, symptomology in 15 years or so. So I, I beat that clock. But uh, I had an MRI, and it came back with every osis and itis you can think of. So maybe there's something we can do about it, and maybe I just have yeah. to be able to. Take two more Advil and. Well, the thing yeah. about that is I can't take that because of the stomach. So oh, yeah, that's great. right. Yeah. Ah. yeah. So anyway, um, yeah. Bobby Brooks is, is yeah, a, is st- a stenosis, saint. stenosis is the thing. I yeah, think. that's yeah. that. That's what I yeah. got. Yeah. That's one of them yeah. anyway. That's one of them. I, have four, I, I learned a new word, and I, I know a lot of words. You know that. I know you do. But I heard the I heard learned the word foraminal. 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 Is it with F-O-R-M-A. the? Oh, I was thinking with I was thinking it was with the pH. No. All right. But it, I don't even know what it is, except mine is narrowed. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah, which, I hate that. No, yeah. which means apparently the nerves have to go through the foraminal channels. And yeah. once they get narrowed, the nerves get pinched, and that it it impacts yeah. your yeah. 
pain threshold plus your ability to maintain balance and walk properly. <laughs> I hate that. I'm what? a wreck. But well, luckily, here to do my job, I sit and push buttons. You sit, push buttons, and you play the very best in Irish music. Right. Well, I, and I, I peruse the library, which now is all digital, which helps me a lot. Look at Dennis going like this. What's that mean? Uh, it doesn't mean anything. It means hurry up, yeah. doesn't it? All right, yeah. I'm hurrying. Thanks, all right. guys. All right. All right. Hey, it's good to see you guys. I love uh, you guys. It's good, it's good to be here. Till next week, make sure you wear your seatbelt. Drive safely. Be good to your car. Talk to you all next week. Bye-bye. are the songs you love so well. I know that because it's been my privilege to have played them for you since 1982. Hello everyone, I'm Paul Sullivan and I welcome